Hi, I'm Kevin Harrington, an original shark from the hit television show Shark Tank, and you're listening to the Underdog Podcast. I've been too high up to fall, question marks, what's up with y'all? All we know is over time, barking like some underdogs. Underdogs, underdogs, underdogs. All we know is over time, barking like some underdogs. Underdogs, underdogs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Underdog Podcast. Today, I have an incredible guest here with me. Rob, how are you, my friend? I'm well. Thank you for having me. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much for being here. I was so excited to interview you. I remember reading up your bio. I was like, seven companies, three different countries. Like, man, this man's got system and ops down like to a whole new degree that I've never seen before. <laughs> so, so excited to meet you and hear all the things that you're up to in this universe. We definitely keep busy. Uh, I don't I don't pretend to have all the answers, but we've made enough mistakes for people to learn from, for sure. I love that. I love that. We're all about learning lessons here. I always say lessons, never failures, right? It failures simply just a lesson, and that's all it is. And uh, I feel like as entrepreneurs, we become bulletproof over the years. <laughs> You're like, oh, that went sideways? Oh, okay, normal, sweet. Let's note that for next time. <laughs> yeah, you harden, you harden a little bit. I'll definitely, definitely say that. I think we're just numb. Have you ever seen that? You know, that meme with that guy who's on a roller coaster that keeps the dead straight face on. Yeah. I think I know what you're talking about. That is every entrepreneur that I know. Yeah. (laughs) It is so like on the ball. I'm like, this is what it means to be like a successful entrepreneur right here. Well, and I think good and bad too, because when something good is coming, you've seen it go sideways so many different ways until the check actually clears, you're just like, maybe, hope so. We'll see. <laughs> I love it, Rob. Oh man, well, I can't wait to dig into all the businesses and all the amazingness that you're up to. And you know, for me, it's always I always love to wonder, like, where did this all ori- originate from, right? So, what inspired you on your journey to where you are today, my friend? It's all been very cumulative. It's all built on one another. I got started buying real estate, actually, um, similar to you. Rental properties. I didn't flip. I would rent them out for a few years. And then the next logical thing was I got my broker's license, did a few years at Keller Williams, still have my license in three states. From there, it was good. It was educational. The information I got as a, as a realtor was much better than the money, but it was, it was very feast or famine. Like You'd have a good summer. You'd make a hundred grand in commissions. And then you better save that for the next eight months because it's going to be a while. Uh, and so then the next lot, the next question was what's, what's the logical step based on what we know. And it was property management. So we got into property management. We bought two companies there, consolidated them from there. What's next. Hey, building services. We're paying money to, you know, janitors and cleaners and, and gutter clean all that. Let's buy a building services company. Mm. From there, we had a hard time with staffing. Just, you know, this was 2016, 2017, and this is long before COVID. We had trouble getting people. So a friend of mine introduced me to somebody in Mexico who was looking for a job because he had hired remote staff, hired them. That was April. By August, we had 10 people working out of Mexico. And it was so successful that friends started saying, hey, I heard you're doing this. Can you help me find somebody? It evolved into its own business. So we founded Gordian Staffing. About a third of the positions we fill are in the accounting area, staff accountants, bookkeepers, AP&AR. But we had a lot of clients that needed more hands-on help. 
So we founded Gordian Financial to actually just do all the accounting for you rather than just find the people. We bought another accounting company in, in Texas to bring on more skilled staff, bought another property management company out in the Midwest. I think that's all of them. <laughs> so it's, it's all built on one another. They all feed one another. They all supply, do something for one another. Gordian Financial does all the accounting. Gordian Staffing does all the remote staffing. So they all feed off of one another. Yeah. What I love that you've done there is the complimentary business piece of it. It's like, hey, we've already got the clientele in this market. How can we service them better? Right. And there's a lot of overlap. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is amazing. And most entrepreneurs don't think of this. And I'm like, guys, cleaning companies, like things like this are, are like everything. You know? Yeah, and our first clients of Gordian Staffing were some of our clients from East West, the building services company. I would say, hey, do you, you know, would you agree that East West does a good job on the admin side? Oh, yeah, you guys are amazing. Well, they're all out of my staffing company. What do you think? And oh, yeah, let's give it a try. So it, and it's a lot of the same clients. It's it, there's definitely a lot of overlap. Yeah, which is amazing. Building complementary businesses off of like what you've already have. I mean, your best. Yeah. Clients will be the ones that you've already serviced, right? And so how can you serve them better? I love that you did that. I love that. And now, Rob, like as a kid, like what did you want to be when you grew up? Like what was like your dream? The two jobs that I can really remember are I wanted to be a teacher and I wanted to be a psychiatrist, actually. And then I realized I don't like kids. I love my kids. Not nuts about your kids. I just, you know, I'm not a kid guy. Don't show me pictures. They're not, I've seen pictures of kids before. You're just wasting your time. <laughs> but both of those things, I, I wanted to help people, teaching people. The favorite part of my job is, you know, I own these companies, but when people ask me, what do you do like on a plane or something, I'll usually just say, I'm a consultant. My job is I go in, I help people, I see what I can do. And so the favorite part of my job is is talking to people, finding the problems, offering advice on how they can fix it, and just being that confidant. You know, I say I'm like a doctor, a priest, or a lawyer. You'd be amazed at some of the stuff I've picked up over the years, but we're able to help people because of it. So I love that. As a psychiatrist, as a kid, that's super, super interesting. Well, it's interesting because most a lot of entrepreneurs are really into like human behavior and like all of the, you know, the human connection, right? That's the reason why mm. they build their businesses. So it's super cool to see how that's correlated throughout the years for you. Interesting. And who who or what has been your biggest inspiration like growing up? Uh, I'm not sure I have an answer for that, to be honest with you. Uh, I've always been kind of a lone wolf. I, the reason I bought a property management company, I initially tried to get a job at a property management company and I couldn't because I had no experience. I even offered to work for free for six months just to learn the ropes and nobody hired me. Wow. Went out and bought a company. And I think that's been the secret to my success is I don't think outside the box. I don't even know where it is. So I try all this crazy stuff that doesn't that nobody in their right mind would do because I'm so dumb. I don't know it's a bad idea. And like 80 percent of it doesn't work. And we learn and we grow and we move on the other 20 percent. There's some real nuggets of gold in there just by the law of, of large numbers. So yeah, I, I think we've, we've changed a lot because I had no idea what I was doing and nobody told me it was wrong. So I just tried stuff. I love that. And who's been like your biggest inspiration in business? I guess to, to like step into your realm, you just mentioned that you couldn't find a job. So that's how you kind of eased into it. But has there been any like mentors or role models for you in the space? 
I always hesitate to answer that question because when you, you say a name and then three months later they do something really crappy and you get associated with them, like, oh, you're with this guy's like, I just think he's boss. Like you can't see real well, but I've got a ton of biographies and history books over there. So I love to read about business. I've read Steve Jobs. I've read Jeff Bezos. I've read Elon Musk. I've read Michael Dell, Phil Knight. I, I read everybody. I think they're all pretty awesome. I guess the theme that I've seen in all of them is they've all made colossal, giant, earth-shattering mistakes. You look at Jeff Bezos and diapers.com. You look at, at Steve Jobs being ousted out of his own company, to, and he go and, goes and founds Next, which was a joke. Like, it never – it built a good operating system, and that was about it, and he eventually came back in. So I guess I would say I don't – I don't follow any one person. I just like to read the stories and see the common themes. I love that. And there's a lot of common themes when it comes to like entrepreneurs and, and their journey. And I'd love to kind of step back into like how you got to your first business and then kind of scale that out. You mentioned that you kind of built everything complementary to what you were doing I think on the property management side um, and then built the brokerage and, and stuff like that. But kind of like the the step-by-step on how you actually did that. Cause I know that there's people listening that are maybe on the precipice of creating their first business and kind of just don't know how, or like, you know, some tips and tricks along the way and sharing your journey might, might help them get there. Yeah. I mean, I was in college um, and I just, I had some money saved up. I just wanted to put it to good use and the, the market had crashed. This was 2009 or 2010 so the market was really bad i bought my first house for 69,000 oh. fixed it up put some money into it rented it out did the home equity line bought another and just kind of built on that until we had about a dozen properties and then yeah it, it was one of two questions it was what's the next logical problem to solve or with the assets and knowledge we have what's the next logical expansion you know we have rental properties why don't we just become our own agents? Hey, we're agents. Why don't we become property managers? Hey, we we pay all these vendors. Let's bring our own. It was a natural progression as much as possible. That's amazing. And pretty much you ended up just buying your first business property management and then kind of elevating everything from there as the businesses were starting to expand on their own. Yeah, you learn more, you find new problems. Yeah, you just every new place you look around, what's the problem that I'm best equipped to solve that'll do the most good? And you move in that direction. I love that. Well, I also love that you scaled like the remote staff, like the remote staffing was definitely huge. I mean, building services, being in construction for the last decade. Mm hmm retention is definitely the hardest thing. Getting people to show up is the hardest thing, right? Once they're there, yeah. do it. But just like scheduling and dealing with subcontractors and, and that kind of thing is like a whole nother layer. So like, what were some of the obstacles that you faced as you started building out these companies? I mean, one thing I, I would say from my own experience and from consulting with, with clients in 27 or 28 states at this point, people think it's kind of like a cure-all. Like I could just hire these people and stuff is going to start to get fixed. It's just like anything else. You got to put the work in. You got to be ready. If you're a if you're a messed up company and you hire people, it's just going to get more messed up. If you're a strong company and you hire remote people, it's going to get better, which is not to say that you can never do it until you're perfectly squeaky clean. I'm God knows I'm not. We have almost 500 employees at this point and we're still pulling our hair out every day of something new, but you have to put the work in. You have to ask yourself, what's this person going to do? 
how are they going to be trained? How are they going to be supervised? How are they going to communicate? How do I make them feel part of the team? The number one call I get is, okay, I, I, I want to hire you. I need help. Oh, okay. You know, I'd, I'd love to help you. Tell me more about what you need. I'm just, I'm overwhelmed. I need, I need somebody. I need help. Okay. And, and for what position? I don't know. It's just an assistant or something. Okay. What are they going to do? And people just, I use the analogy. It's like an orchestra. If yeah. the conductor doesn't have things playing well, adding a couple more tubas and timpanis is not going to improve the sound. You yeah. have to get things in order to at least a small degree. Now you don't have to re revamp the entire company, but I always used it in what I called a clean room technique. I'm just going to take one tiny area of the company and I'm going to seal it off. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to bring in new people. We, we never let anybody go if they were doing their job. We're, we're not corporate raiders. If you've got great people, hold on to them for all they're worth. But as positions naturally opened up, as, as a company grew, we would always say, can this be done remotely? And so we would just take one tiny part of the company, like invoicing. And we would just create it from the ground up, reinvent everything, policies, procedures, scripts, checklists, and then make it a clean room. And then we'd move on to the next one. And then the next, we wouldn't try to do the whole thing at once, just little by little cumulative change. Because too many people, they hire people for a messed up area and it doesn't work. And they think the employee is the problem. When the truth is nobody could succeed in that realm. Right. Absolutely. Well, scaling is the hardest part. And part of that is also people, right? Mm -hmm. So I love that you've created the systems around that. And you mentioned like 500 employees and we're still learning every day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, so that's like some of the biggest challenges is definitely in the people. And what have been some of your golden nuggets and lessons in building out these companies and kind of retaining employees and continuing to scale effectively? It's a long conversation. I mean, remember that people are people that a lot of people think they're hiring software. You're not, you're hiring a person. They need to be trained. They need to be encouraged. They need to have a connection with you. The number one complaint we get or negative feedback, I should say, is I don't even know who the people at the main, I feel like I'm out on an island. We don't communicate. I don't get instruction. I'm just kind of over here. So one of our biggest obstacles to overcome is sharing the company culture, making sure everybody's plugged in and that they're treating this as part of the team. That's why we don't use the term virtual assistant. I've never liked that term. We call them remote team members. We're not outsourcing anything. We're helping you open your Mexico office because these are part of your team, just like somebody who's working from home domestically. I love that. I love that. Well, it's definitely, like you said, they have to be encouraged. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something that's, you know, and trained and, you know, how do you actively implement in practices? Like as an entrepreneur who's maybe right now looking to scale and is trying to figure out like, what do I put in place in order for the, you know, in order to bring people in and like get them to stay. The trick is you've got to realize that hiring somebody is actually going to be more work up front. People kind of think like day one, things are going to get better. no. First couple of weeks, it's going to be more work. It's going to be time training. It's going to be time teaching, correcting, supervising. It, it is a long-term play. I also tell people, if it took you 10 years to get into this mess, don't think you're going to get out of it in a month. Just go slow, slow and steady. Do a little bit at a time. As long as you're moving in the right direction, that's better. Too many people want to just reinvent everything overnight and start fresh. And it it just doesn't work like that. A, a business is like a ship. Big ship, small change, long term. It, you can't turn a boat 90 degrees overnight. 
Totally. And some of like the logistical practices that you've incorporated in, like, for example, like standard operating procedures and different things like that, KPIs, like mm. what are some of like your, you don't have to get specific because I know that's probably proprietary, but you know, like what have been some tools that really helped you with that accountability and like, you know, that retention and scaling? I'm a huge believer in metrics with a grain of, of common sense. A lot of people take metrics and it's just like, this is gospel. Your, your number fell here. That's a, you know, you, you've, I always say metrics don't tell you the answer. They tell you where to look for the answer. So for me, when I, when I first started implementing metrics, probably back in 2017 or 2018, one of the first numbers we started with was a, a missed call percentage. Cause you know, we wanted basic high level stuff that we could act on. And it showed our missed call percentage was I think 37%. And I'm like, that's not possible. Something, you know, we have, we have two full-time people answering the phones. Like we're not that big of a, like something is wrong. Long story short, when we had had a previous employee leave, we hadn't correctly rerouted their extension. So a third of the calls were going into this Mm -hmm. dead phone tree extension. And that's where all these things were coming from. And if I would have just looked at the numbers, I would have I would have railed on the guys and said, you guys suck. You're not answering the phones. Come on. But it told me, OK, something is wrong here. Let's investigate. And the next week, I think it was like 7%. And then it was 5%. And it was just, and it never went back there. But it, it could have literally been years. The person had been gone six months. So it could have literally been years that a third of the people calling in would have gotten no answer. So yeah, that, that's an example. I, I love metrics. And honestly, Excel is one of your best friends. I mean, even before this, I was working on a giant Excel sheet, just tracking data. It doesn't matter how you track data, just track the track the numbers, track the information, and it'll show you where to pay attention, what the trouble spots are. Totally. And that was something, Rob, that, to be honest with you, that I wasn't paying attention to from day one, right? It's like, we're so optimistic on all the business and everything you were getting wasn't tracking it. And then it was like, well, shit. So, you know, for you, what are some of the things that, you know, as an entrepreneur, you should be looking for when you are tracking metrics, especially, I mean, there's a lot of real estate entrepreneurs listening, so you could, you know, cater it that way. Because I know your businesses are mainly based in real estate, but what would be the things to look for? I mean, it's going to vary by company. Obviously, any customer service based business, you want customer satisfaction percentage, you want missed call percentage, email response time, first call resolution, average time, average uh, time per call that the name is eluding me for some reason, stuff like that. On the finance side, you've got to track delinquent rent, delinquent paint whatever your business is, track your cash flow. You can grow as fast as you want, but all the money, all the numbers on paper doesn't mean squat until it hits your bank. So if you're growing really fast, but you're not collecting your AR, or if you're not paying attention to your AP, you're going to find yourself in a cash crunch really, really quickly. So I would say track your delinquent AR, track your processing time for AP invoices. I do a monthly sheet for my my wife and I are just the collective Buffington organization, as I call it, every bank account, every credit card, every AR list at the end of each month, we tally every, every loan, every, you know, you name it. And we track month over month, like, Hey, we've really been burning cash. Our AR is spiking. It tells us where to look and it helps us track patterns over time. 
stuff like that. If you're in property management, I mean, I could go on all day, maintenance, work order, turn time, vacancy, fill time, stuff like that. If you're selling homes, obviously days on market, percent over asking or under asking, stuff like that. It really gets valuable when you're three to six months in and you can see the patterns and you can see, oh, every September things slow way down because people are going back to school. Uh, on the recruiting side, I know that every December we hit a brick wall and nobody wants to change jobs in December because that's when all the Christmas bonuses and the parties are happening. So I know that when I take clients on in November, I got to tell them, just be aware, we're talking January. We clear? Great. And once you've done it for a few years, you start to notice those patterns. My building services business, same thing. Every December, our, our AR doubles because all the people approving the checks are out on vacation or they're busy and all that. So I've got to have cash set aside in November or it's going to be really tight until January. Um, mm -hmm. So stuff like that. Love that. Yeah. It's following the different trends in the, in the business and accounts receivable is obviously huge, right? Mm -hmm. You need to make sure your cash flow is always on par. Oh, for any company, I think that's the number one metric to be paying attention to. It's fabulous. That's fabulous. And I I love all the different systems and everything that you've created, Rob. I mean, there's definitely a reason why you were managing seven of them and crushing well, And them. most of these are run off of Excel. Like it, it doesn't need to be complicated. I can literally just use an Excel spreadsheet and week over week punch the numbers in. I know a lot of people, somebody sells them a $50,000 piece of equipment that take of software that takes six months to implement and then never gets used. It's kind of like buying the, the fancy treadmill at home when what you need to do is get your ass on a bicycle and go do some work and then put the money into it. And I'm, I'm guilty of that. I have one. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And so Rob, what have been some of your biggest lessons in business? Would you say that you've learned? Don't count the commission check until it's cleared. You will never know what's going to like until the money actually hits the bank. Just, okay, we'll see. Like just, and and bad stuff too. 90% of the stuff I worried about never happened. And most of it wasn't as bad. So like, just, just wait and see. Just, just, just yesterday or the day before I got told that some employee was suing us for wrongful termination and going through all this stuff. Come to find out he was this morning, he was working another job. He was, you know, just all kinds of messy stuff. And it was like, I didn't even need to worry about it because a day later it was resolved. So I'm just going to wait until I have the whole story before worrying. I'd say put some money into a good attorney. Don't do handshake deals. They sound nice. I'm sure they're in plenty of Hallmark movies. The reality is eventually somebody's going to try to screw you and you need a contract that can protect you. You can be as nice as you want when you have the upper hand, but when you're the one on on bottom, you're, you know, you don't get to control much about what's happening. So put the money into a good contract, every situation, make sure you have a good set of lawyers, good tax people, all that. It, it's a lot cheaper to pay that money up front than when you need it later for a lawsuit. We just went through our first IRS audit. So that was fun. Actually did pretty well. Pretty proud of my team there, but yeah, just, I think there's a whole generation of feel good, believe in you can achieve and all that. And I, I, I'm not saying you don't need a measure of that, but the truth is it is a knockdown street fight every day to stay in business. Somebody's coming to try to take your lunch money. You can do a lot of good in the world if you succeed, but it's not all unicorns and rainbows. It it <laughs> it takes a lot out of you. For sure. And in terms of the biggest life obstacles, what have been some of the most difficult things that you 
have dealt with and the lessons that have kind of risen from from there. I think your view of people definitely changes. You work with people enough. You see what happens when people are put into pressure spots, what they'll do. You lose a lot of your faith in humanity. But at the same time, the more you succeed, the more good you're able to do. Last year, we gave over 100000 to charity. It's, it's a huge part of who we are and why we do what we do. So you're able to do a lot of good in the world when you succeed. There's a saying, it's lonely at the top. You know, it, it's hard to relate to people when you're, you know, when you're doing large deals, when you're trying to build something, it, it kind of hard to relate to most people working the nine to five, which is kind of sad. So it does get lonely. So find a good peer network of people who know what you're going through. Um, that'll definitely, definitely help. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, also, you know, the entrepreneurial journey is uh, takes such a mental toll sometimes because there's so much that goes into it. And sometimes if you don't have like that community or that network of people around you, it's like, well, how, who do I have to bounce off of, you know, these ideas? Cause some people may just not understand. And it's not that they don't want to, but they're not entrepreneurs. Right. So how have you been able to kind of work through all of that while building out all these companies? I mean, like, do you have like mentors and all of, you know, What's the secret sauce behind that? Because there's a whole mental game behind the entrepreneurial spirit, you know? Yeah, it takes a lot out of you. One of the best things I did in the early days is I found a peer group uh, when I had my property management company. I reached out to four people that I knew that also owned property management companies, and I intentionally picked people that were spread out throughout the country. One was in Vancouver, uh, which is obviously Canada. Those listening, I, I know my geography. One was in uh, Colorado. One was in Florida. One was in the Northeast somewhere. I forget where. And once a month, we would just sit down, compare notes. Hey, what are you struggling with? What are you working on? And because we were, we had we had NDAs, of course, but because we were completely different metros, there was no competition. We were just four or five people talking about what's going on, learning from each other. Um, and I think that was one of the best things I did. I've learned so much from my peers, just asking them, what are you working on? What are you proud of? What What are you struggling with? You know, you can learn a lot that way. I think that was one of the best things I did. Uh, and I still keep in touch with a lot of those people. I love that. I love that. And to circle back on this one, and this can be life or business, whichever one you prefer, Rob. But what would your older self tell your younger self based on what you know now? The one thing. The one thing. <laughs> I'd probably go back. Honestly, I'd probably go back to the contracts thing of everybody. Your best friend today might be in a lawsuit with you tomorrow. So be be prepared. Just people think that I'll never need a contract because we're friends, all that. The contract is written for the day, for every eventuality, the day that you're not friends. You know, you're, you're developing a piece of property and the, per, the owner dies and it falls to the heirs who never wanted to do this project. Yeah, I would say prepare for the worst, especially as it relates to contracts and, uh, and cash flow is king. It's all well and good to build something on paper, but unless you've got cash in your bank account, you're, you're pretty powerless. Because um, as we're seeing right now with the banks, you can't get financing anymore when we need it the most. So unless you have cash, you're going to miss out on some opportunities. But the nice thing is this is a great time to buy if you do have that cash stockpiled. Uh, not real estate so much, um, but businesses and opportunities. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what would be your biggest piece of advice for someone who's looking to maybe has a company and is looking to add these complimentary businesses on the way that the way that you have? 
there's something I call the 20% BS rule. Anything the seller is telling you, take 20% off of it for just the BS factor. It's going to take 20% more work. You're going to make 20% less money. It's going to take 20% longer. And you better have your own house in order. Don't buy a business thinking that it's going to strengthen your existing business. It's going to weaken your existing business for a while. So you got to have your own stuff together. And then look at why you're buying it. Is it is it for cash flow? Is it is it a platform acquisition that's going to take you into a new field or a new client base? Figure that out. Don't just there's a term um, in in real estate, the accumulator. Somebody who just wants to buy properties to feel special and look at me, look at me. I've got all these properties. I, I think, and and I've probably been guilty of it in business sometimes. But it's easy to fall in love with an idea, but you've got to have. And if and if you're doing it for fun. Awesome. Enjoy. Just be clear about that. But it's got to make, there's got to be solid data backing it up. You've got to have cash flow. You've got to have uh, skills. You, there's got to be something. What are you getting out of it? Don't just buy it because it sounds cool on your, uh, on your CV. Totally. I love that, Rob. I love that. And in your world, like what's happening in the next few months, like what's going on? In Rob world. Biggest thing is we're, we're developing our own learning management system so we can help our employees get better at the jobs upskilling while they're currently employed so they can advance in the companies they're working for. We're offering several new services to our clients that we're getting ready to announce later this year. So we're looking forward to that, just solving one problem at a time. Amazing, Rob. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for dropping all of these gems throughout the interview. I know there's going to be entrepreneurs and people listening that are taking like all these golden nuggets and writing them all down. So thank you so much for that. Now you've got to let everyone know where to find you and your awesomeness. Uh, Rob Buffington and Gordian Business Solutions. You can find me on there. Love that, Rob. Again, thank you so much for being here today, Rob. You are awesome. Really grateful for you. And thank you so much for sharing all this amazing insight. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So that's it for today's episode of Underdog. Catch us next week, always dropping on Thursdays. And remember, if you're interested in real estate, or want to learn how to create more money and magic in your life, check out meetwithpamela.com and let's chat. Sending you so, so much love. All we know is over time, working like some underdogs.